There's nothing like snook hook sets at dawn or catching a tarpon in the moonlight. Find your next fishing trip made easy on fishingbooker.com and experience the magic of the Sunshine State or any other destination on your fishing bucket list. Book a blue water adventure in search of sailfish or go snapper fishing with the kids. With over 6,000 captains and trips to choose from, planning your next one just got a whole lot easier. Download the Fishing Booker app on the Google Play or App Store or visit them online at fishingbooker.com to book your trip today. Montana Casting Company is a performance fly rod and reel company based right here in our capital, Helena, Montana. Each model of fly rod is a tribute to Montana's rugged beauty and adventurous spirit. Their rods capture the look, feel, and craftsmanship of a custom-built fly rod. Scott personally calls every customer who buys one of his rods. Head to montanacastingco.com and use code MEATEATER20 at checkout for a one-time 20% off discount. Hey, it's Steve here. Are you serious about hunting or self-defense? Well, starting in 1996, XS Sights took proven dot-the-eye sight pictures from firearms used on African safaris and applied that methodology to modern defensive handguns, all made in America and trusted by industry leaders. Meat Eater listeners can get an exclusive discount on the XS Sites website. So just go to xssites.com and use code Meat Eater at checkout for 25% off. XS Sites, the fastest sites in any light. Hey, Phil the Engineer here, and you're listening to the Meat Eater Podcast, part of the Meat Eater Podcast Network. We know one great podcast isn't enough, and you want more. So go check out and subscribe to these other great Meat Eater titles. In Cal's Week in Review, Ryan Callahan hits you with the latest, greatest, and sometimes weirdest stories out of the outdoors and conservation. Get your deer fix year-round on Wired to Hunt with Mark Kenyon. Ben O'Brien wades into the murky waters of ethics in the outdoors so you don't have to on The Hunting Collective. And listen to Remy Warren's detailed tips and tactics for every hunting situation and cutting the distance. You can subscribe to these podcasts anywhere podcasts are found or listen at TheMeatEater.com. This is the Meat Eater Podcast coming at you shirtless, severely bug-bitten, and in my case, underwearless. We hunt the Meat Eater Podcast. You can't predict anything. Presented by OnX Hunt, creators of the most comprehensive digital mapping system for hunters. Download the Hunt app from the iTunes or Google Play Store. Know where you stand with OnX. All right, uh, Josh Carney. The first thing we got to talk about: um, you're 28 years old, and yes. you're here on my birthday. Uh, today I turned 46, and you're uh, the first thing you're going to do is tell me um, about how I suck at turkey calling. <laughs> Oh, we're jumping right to this, dude. No, yeah, I want, I want to just clear the air on it. I, I, listen, I, I, yeah, I reckon I, I never, um, yeah, just tell me about it. Just hit, hit me. Just hit me. Hit me. I, I'm up because it's my birthday, so hit me back down again. Man, just I, give me I a just, good formal critique. Like, I'm, uh, uh, like, what am I, what, what areas should I most strive to improve? Man, um, <laughs> I just don't want to break your heart. Like, this is the first. No, be, do it. Break, break it up. Like, like if you're gonna give me, um, just try to make it like, just try to make it seem like you're not being mean, but 
like you're being helpful. Okay. Um, your turkey call is not supposed to sound like a drowning duck in a pool of um, sewage. Yeah. Okay. That's helpful. That's yeah, helpful. Yeah. I mean, like, you know, I'm just trying to help you out. I mean, if you're going to see duck hunting, that's appropriate. But when you're turkey calling, you know, just it, it's cluck, cluck, purr, not. Hit me, hit me with a beautiful turkey call. Oh, man. Here we go. It's my style. Dude, I love it. With no assistance from calls whatsoever. Sans call. No diaphragms. No uh, latex involved. No? See, uh, um, uh, uh, Turkey Call Company tried to, uh, I was like, man, you're really good. Like, if I could sell you, I'd make a lot of money. I was like, I think that's prostitution. <laughs> <laughs> Human trafficking is not something I'm up for. You know, um, I, I, I didn't mean to hit you with this one when you came in, but, but I had... Uh, I, I became like interested in you and that wanting to talk to you. Creepy. Yeah, years ago though. Um, so you're saying you've just been stalking me for a little while? No, I hap- I stumbled into you, and it was here. Like right now, we're in Nashville, Tennessee. We're at the National Wild Turkey Federation annual convention, um, the big show. And years ago, I was here, and you were uh, you were just like on the show floor, and there's a bunch of people gathered around, and you were turkey calling. And I remember being like, how in the world does this guy do it without um, the assistance of a call, like just to make the noise? And then, then I just did various bits of research and, and looked in and heard, um, you know, a, a story that you've probably by now, maybe you're sick of telling, but I'm going to make you tell it again and then talk about your life after that. But uh, explain a little bit. Okay, yeah. A teaser. So, so uh, 2005... Um, well, let me backtrack a little further than that. So I always grew up hunting. Uh-huh. Like, I mean, that was my passion growing up. And when I was a little kid, uh, my dad would take me rabbit hunting. And I just, you know, I fell in love with doing that. So I wanted and you, to. And you grew up where? In Louisiana. Okay. South Louisiana, where it's hot and every snake wants to kill you there. Yeah. there. It's it's a terrible place to live. But you guys would hunt cottontails down there? Yeah. yeah. If you can avoid cottonmouths. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> it's, uh, it's a fun place to live. But it's. um. For me, you know, growing up there, I, I there was there wasn't as much variety um, to hunt as far as you know as, as to other states. I mean, yeah. we had deer and you know duck hunting. I never got into duck hunting down there, but you know we had a certain amount of animals that we could hunt there. Um, so I just kind of picked and choose what I could hunt. So I grew up rabbit hunting, and then at the age of eleven, I uh, started doing research and I wanted to deer hunt. So at age of eleven, I went out by myself and took my dad's thirty out six. And I killed my first deer. From there, oh, by yourself? Yeah, yeah. I didn't even know what. Uh, I killed a button buck, and I didn't even know the difference at the time because I thought it was a doe until I seen the little nubs on the horn when I got to it. So, yeah, that was, uh, that was a rush for me. What else did you get? What else did you guys hunt? Like, give me the full gamut of what you hunted in those years in, in southern Louisiana. So for me, uh, my whole family was a small game hunting family. So yeah. you know, rabbits. We had uh, squirrel dogs. I actually had competition squirrel dogs. I don't oh, know really? Cool. Yeah. So we traveled the country with uh, dogs doing competitions. And did you guys have other tree and dogs? Did you guys have like raccoon dogs and stuff? Yeah. So yeah. Uh, my dad had um, hounds for um, raccoons, but I, I just, I didn't want to stay up all night chasing behind a ringtail. So I just, yeah. you know, I stuck to my squirrel dogs and my rabbit dogs. That was my passion. Two se- so you had obviously separate dogs, right? Yeah. 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 So we had um, 
we had beagles for rabbit dogs. We had um, original mountain curs for squirrel dogs, and I think he had. Um, I think he started out with walkers. I think that's what he kept uh, for coon houses. Walkers. No. Did you wow. guys live out in the country? No, definitely really? not the country. Yeah, we were in the city. With really? All, yeah, yeah, with about fifteen dogs. And and every neighbor you ran into hated you. I mean, we got hate mail twice a week. wasn't bad. But all the dogs. <laughs> Nah, probably because I was in a front yard skinning raccoons or something like that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so you guys didn't fit in. Not technically. I mean, <laughs> but it was uh, it was one of those deals where you know, I just growing up, growing up back then compared to now was so much different. It, that was um more acceptable. Like it wasn't as frowned upon back then. Yeah. But like now, if I try, you mean to be like now, a hunting family out skinning stuff out and whatnot? Yeah, yeah. No, that's uh now in like today's society and generation like that's frowned upon like terribly yeah you know even in like we live in in uh southwest montana you know and um one of the guys we work with seth he had a he had a, like a deadhead buck he found you know mm-hmm. and um he had it out in his yard and he could overhear the neighbors like aghast about this guy's got a deer head in his yard, and that's so disgusting. It's like, what the world? Co- it's Montana, man, you know? So, <laughs> funny story that just actually happened last, uh, what's today, Thursday? So, it happened Sunday. So, I just moved from Tennessee, so I got an apartment here. Um, I was coming home Saturday night, and I hit a deer. Okay? But this is about to be a crazy story. So, I hit this deer, and... If people that listen don't know, I'm in a wheelchair. So on my truck, I have a lift to lift my chair on and off the truck. So it had just it snowed, the ground's wet, everything like that. And I'm like, all right, well, I'll just hit this fresh deer. I'm not about to let it get waste. So I pull inside the road. I back my truck up to put this deer on back of my truck. I thought I could lift it by myself. Turns out like, I was very wrong. Homeless, so you back up, but you're down. Like you get in, you get in your wheelchair, and you're down on the ground in your wheelchair. I get out of my truck in my chair and then in your I, chair. Okay, yeah, I'm okay. in my chair. Gotcha. I'm in my chair. So I roll around to this deer and I'm trying to like lift it up to put it in the bed of my truck. Huh? Okay, that didn't work out. Cars are blowing past. Actually, it was like this is where it gets interesting. The road that I was on was closed. Okay, but it's where I lived. Oh, because so. all the flooding around here. I don't know why it was closed. Okay, I don't know why. But I just it, I overheard somebody say that there's like. Six counties around Nashville that are closed right now, and I was thinking, how can you close an entire county? But, yeah, I mean, it's been flooding pretty bad. Anyway. But I don't know why the road was closed. But like it was like only one lane that was closed, so I just kind of went around the sign, yep. um, which I probably shouldn't have done. Um, so I'm sympathetic. I understand. You know, my house was a mile away from there, so I mean, it's like I'm not driving all the way back around the interstate to go do it. So I'm trying to lift this deer up on the back of my truck. It doesn't work. So nobody's coming by, so it's by myself. So I'm like, all right, well, I'm just going to use my lift on my truck to, like, hoist this deer up. Oh, that's good It's kind of like a crane. Yeah. So I was like, all right, I'm going to do that. So I drag the deer to the side of the truck, and I try and, like— Well, you want this deer bad. <laughs> Listen, I had just I just got a brand-new truck, okay? And if I hit a deer with a brand-new truck and, like, a damage, I'm going to get something out of yeah, it. Yeah, I got you. So, I mean, I got to pay the insurance. It's going to be an expensive deer. So I, uh, I try and, like, pick the deer up enough to, like, get the— the rope around it so I could put it on the back of my truck. Picked this deer up enough to like where um, my body shifted and my chair rolled from up under me down the hill. Oh. oh. So now I'm sitting on the side of the road with a deer across my lap. 
my chair is gone, and uh, I'm still trying to figure out how I'm going to do this. Soaking wet, by the way. Ground's wet. So I finally crawl back to my truck, get the lift, hook it up, and I uh, get the deer in bed truck. What I didn't realize is I needed the lift to get my chair on back of the truck. Mm. So now I got a terrible situation. I finally get all I take care of. Next day, this is going back to skinning in the yard. The next day, a buddy of mine comes over, and uh, we're trying to figure out where we're going to clean this deer at. Literally, we take it to my apartment, through the house, and skin it on the porch. That's good thinking. Yeah. <laughs> if they hear this, I'm probably going to get evicted. <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah, like your landlord right now is like, hold on, what's this dude's name? Yeah. I think like I just rented this dude to the place. Yeah. <laughs> By the way, my name is John Travolta. <laughs> yeah. Well, show me where it says that in the lease, you know? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Uh, was it a buck or a doe? It was a doe. It was a small doe. Yeah. So you got it in the freezer? Oh, yeah. I'm going to have a... Uh, it's probably in backdraft this weekend. You got a girlfriend? No, I do not. No, so you don't have anybody cooking for her. No, and I can't cook worth a crap. No. <laughs> I'm going to burn 40% of this deer, just to let you know. Uh, that's all right. So I'll, I'll, let's go back to when you were younger. Like, you're 11 and you strike off and go figure out deer hunting. Yeah, so I figured that out. And, uh, and what kind of area are you hunting in? Like like, like public land or you guys know people with no, properties? we had um, friends of my dad's. So we just you know, go hunt on their place. Okay. And um, it, it's we'd hunt in the swamp sometime. We'd hunt in, you know... A lot of pines in Louisiana where we were. Mm-hmm. Um, there's some hardwood timbers, um, but it's just, it just depends. You know, every every hundred miles, the terrain changes a little bit. So you know, you never know what you're going to get into. Yeah. Um, so after that, like the next couple next couple years, I was like, all right, I'm really intrigued by deer hunting. So my dad had a cabinet shop. He's a um, carpenter, and like he would go work at the shop, and while he's there, I'd go hunting. Like yeah. I'd go back behind the place and go hunting. Um, and then going on a little further, I uh came across turkey hunting magazine tv shows whatever however i found it and i was like okay cool i want to turkey hunt you know i want to hunt all year round so i want to go rabbit hunting in the morning deer hunting afternoon springtime i want to turkey hunt yeah so and your old man wasn't a turkey hunter no no nobody no my, like i said my family was small game hunting like they didn't know anything about deer hunting turkey hunting none of that yeah um so i was like all right i'm gonna get some books you know go Walmart, buy some calls, stuff like that, just to try and do it. So we get all that stuff taken care of, and uh, we go turkey hunting uh, one Sunday after church. And uh, we're sitting there in the middle of the day, and uh, I'm about 25, 30 yards away from my dad, and um, we start calling. And I'm an okay caller. At this time, I was okay. And uh, and what what kind of calls were you using back when you used to use calls? I think I had a um, like a, a one of those push box calls. Yeah, mm. I think that's what I had, and uh, I don't remember what my. I think my dad had a a slate call. Whatever he had, it sounded so bad. It was the worst turkey call ever. Oh, I mean, so I'm I'm like I'm I'm a bit better than a bit better than your dad. It's it's a close <laughs> race. It's a very close race. So, <laughs> um, how this turkey game like this is this is where I'm going to take credit from you because as bad as he called a turkey still came in. Yeah. So, well, th- th- here's the thing, man. I want to clarify. I am deadly on turkeys. I get all kinds of turkeys. I prove a point. 
Steve called in a turkey for me last spring. I prove a point by getting I, I I use my bad I use my my poor calling. I time it. I, I, I everything I, everything else I do nice. And I'm and I, and I and I drive around in my vehicle now calling to practice more. But so, anyway, we're not here to talk about we're so, not here to talk about my my calling. So, so you know this is this Sounds is a like theory. <laughs> this is a theory I have about turkey hunting. Turkey hunting is like dating at a bar. Go on. I like it already. Right, it's I like, already it's agree. Like, it's like going to a bar. <laughs> like the time that you want, you have to have like a high class call to get his attention. Okay. The later in the day, the, the drunker worse, he gets, the worse your call can be. The more he's interested. Yeah. Like I said, there's a ten at two and a two at ten. Mm-hmm. That goes the same with turkey hunting. Yeah. You could sound like the worst hand in the woods by ten o'clock in the morning. He gets away from his hand. It don't matter after that. It's an easy bird to kill. If he gobble, you could kill him. Yeah, that's interesting because I do kill a lot of turkeys around 10 a.m. We're just talking about that. (laughs) (laughs) I like the way we said it better, though. You know, (laughs) two at 10 and a 10 at two. Got to remember that. (laughs) All right, so I want to keep tracking what happened. uh, What happened? You get into into a a transform uh, in many levels a transformative accident that you get into turkey hunting. Mm -hmm. Are we on like the turkey hunt? Yeah, this is a hunt. Like we, uh, my dad, we go down to this place. We you and your old man are hunting together. Yeah, yeah. So we go to a place where we rabbit hunt it, and um, I found if we're going down this gravel road, I find a feather in the road. I was a hundred percent sure that it was a turkey feather. Looking back at it now, I'm pretty sure it was like a hawk feather. Okay. So I'm not sure there's turkeys on this place. So we go set up, and um, just based off the presence of a feather. I was 13, Steve. No, Cut no, no. I'm not dogging on it. I'm not dogging on it. I just want to make sure I'm understanding. Like you, you like you just. Not you're not hearing gobbles and whatnot. No, no, no. 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 It's yeah. it's like I don't know, ten, eleven o'clock in a day. Yeah, you know, yeah. we just first time we just going out there. Like I think he just wanted to shut me up as a kid because that's all I talked about. Yeah, I got you. So we go out there and we you know get twenty five, thirty yards apart from each other, and he's sitting on one tree and I'm sitting on another tree, and we're calling back and forth. And uh, he had a twelve uh, gauge double buckshots. And I had a 14, and I'm not going to lie, I think I had like a slug in it or something like that. Mm-hmm. Like your first turkey, I, 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 I was love like, it. it's bigger than a chicken, shoot a bigger load. Yeah. I mean, that's, that was just my mindset. You guys, just weren't, you guys just weren't tuned into the rules and whatnot. No. No. First turkey hunt. I just, I'm not going to lie to you, Steve. Like, I did not do my research on this part. Yeah. You're a kid, man. Yeah, it's just, you know, one of those things. Now I know, because I never want to get shot by a uh, oh, low-gauge double buck. Yeah, I mean, I grew, you know, there's a lot of, yeah. No, we when just when you're young, it's all it's all kind of. You don't even need to apologize, man. When you're young, at at a certain at, at, for a long time, you're just sort of reliant on the people around you. Like you're reliant on the people around you to know like what's up and what you're supposed to do. And even when you know, I found that being young, even when you know stuff you're not supposed to do, if the older people around you do it, you just took it as being that that's like how you would do it. You know, it's funny that you brought that up. I was telling tell my buddy my other day is like. Growing up as a kid, like I didn't know what a no trespass sign was. Yeah, you see woods, I went hunting. I mean, that was it's, it's a different time period, but I mean, I didn't know what a no trespass sign was. My old man would go down the road if he, if someone had too many up, he'd think it was kind of an eyesore, and him his buddy Eugene would go down and they'd take them down. That's, Just that's different, a, different, a, ti- different yeah. generation, man. And then when yeah. you're young, it's like you you know, you have to be pretty old to question your old man. Like you yeah. with your old man? I, like, I don't know. I assume my old man knows what's going yeah, on. Yeah, I know. Yeah. I knew that there was land and there was animals on it. And I wanted to go hunting. Yeah. So, so we're calling and a turkey comes behind the uh, behind the tree that I was sitting on. 
Okay. And uh, I could see my dad off to my left, and uh, he's getting ready, and I, he he don't see me, and uh, he don't see because he didn't know where you went and set up. Well, I mean, I was wearing real tree camouflage. I mean, I blend in with everything. Yeah. <laughs> Shout out to real tree for that. <laughs> I'm just joking. Um, <laughs> so he doesn't see me because, like, uh, like I said, I'm, I'm tucked against a tree, and I think he's more focused on the bird. Yeah, yeah. And um, when he shoots, like before he shoots, like I can see him like put put the gun up, and like I I can see the whole like everything going at. He puts the gun up. You see the turkey? No, the turkey's behind me. I can't. So like. Oh, I'm, I'm, I understand now. I'm man. facing forward. He's to my left, about 20 yards. Like I can't. Like, I got the you. Birds behind me. I don't he's know. He's aiming at a turkey behind you. Yeah, but so, barely behind you. Yeah. So I I just stay still on the tree because I know that you know something's there. So I just stay still, and um, like I can look out of the corner of my eye, like I tilt my head just enough to see him click the safety off and pull the trigger, and I see fire. My body goes numb, ringing in my ears, and like I just can't do anything. Like, my body goes completely numb. He runs over. He picks me up. And uh, he's carrying me out of the woods. And I was like, Dad, you shot me. You know, he's got 911 on the phone. He's carrying me out of the woods. And uh, EMS gets there. And they put me in the back of the, um, in the back of the truck. And I was like, this is it. I'm done for. I was like, Lord, just, Lord, just protect my dad. That's it. How many of those buckshot pellets hit you? Seven. Yep. I get hit my esophagus. Um, my left arm, one hit my left arm, uh, across my chest, two of my right arm. Uh, I still have one in my pelvis, still have one in my right shoulder, Ugh. uh, my lung and stomach. And, uh, one hit my spine T1, T2 area. Where's that? It's a uh, upper, um, like just right above the, um, mid chest. One hit your spine. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so that was your last, like, lower body movement ever was that day. Yeah. And then the thing is, you know, I was, I was a point guard for basketball. I was, you know, high up on the baseball. I mean, I love baseball and uh, basketball. I mean, I was I had a pretty good athletic thing going on. And uh, yeah, it's like that in the moment, taken away. So I, uh, I get to the Aside from your general running around in the woods all the time from the sounds of it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, but you had no, you couldn't have had any idea of what was going on. I had no idea. No, I knew that I got shot. That's all I knew. And um, and you couldn't, but you, obviously you couldn't move. No, couldn't do anything. Like I had ringing in my ears, body completely numb. Huh. I mean, it was, it was pretty much like I was lifeless. I was just look. I, I had enough energy to look. That's it. And what uh, your old man carried you, but he he makes a call and just carries you out to where an ambulance can get to. Yeah. So I get into the back of the ambulance and uh I black out. Funny thing is I didn't know I could get blacker, but I blacked out. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> so I uh I wake up and there's this uh lights, this beautiful blonde lady. She's like, Josh, Josh and I look there, I was like, You an angel? She's like, No, I'm your nurse. I was like, dang girl, I was trying to get your wake number. What up? <laughs> and uh from there, you know, the doctors came in and I had, I think I had 13 surgeries and uh, I died on the operating table twice and uh, I stayed in the hospital for, I want to say, three months. And they resuscitated you? Yeah. Yep. So 13 twice. surgeries in, in within that three months? Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
it's crazy. I had a uh, like my whole like under my chest, like from my stomach down, like past my belly button, cut open. My back um, from the base of my neck all the way down to my pelvis is cut open. Um, I have cuts down my side. I mean, I look like Frankenstein. Just to be a clear vision of it. And and were you um, were you conscious for most of this time? Part of this time, you know, with the accident. So when they transferred me from one hospital to another, um, I don't know how this happened, but they dropped me on a helicopter. So like on the, like the gurney when they were transporting me, yeah, they dropped me on a helicopter. My head hit the base of it, and it it put a I don't know it messed my head up like so if I ever take my hat off like I have a big um like a big missing spot and a scar in the back of my head so like my memory is like very bad from it really mm-hmm. so so what like what's the state of your father while this is going on I honestly couldn't tell you I mean I wasn't I, I wasn't I I just can't I was it just your dad? Is your mom around too? My mom's around. My whole family's there. Okay. But I mean, being in the hospital so long, I mean, I was on so much medication and, you know, the fact that I couldn't read really remember stuff, I don't know. Oh, yeah, I got you. So you I mean just, like during this month you know, or three months, you don't yeah. know what your father's state was? No, yeah. I don't. You're just I trying just, to stay alive. Yeah. I mean, I just, I mean, I, I knew that I had people come visit me. I mean, I, I vaguely remember people coming visit me. Um, but other than that, I think I was so medicated that i slept most of it i mean i just either that or i've blocked it out mentally and i just yeah i i i just like i said honestly don't know so at at what point did it become there's kind of two transitions i'm curious about like what point did it become that you that the dust settles and you know that probably barring some kind of medical you know, breakthrough that doesn't yet exist. You'd like probably never walk again. Uh, when do you know that to be true? And then when, at what, how long goes by before you're sort of like ready to attack life again? So the doctors came in and uh, said, you know, you've been shot, you know, you're paralyzed. You won't be able to walk again. But it's, I'm not fully paralyzed. Like the bullet, it severed my spinal cord, but it didn't cut it all the way. Okay. So it's the body super weird. Um, so like, I can like feel things. I just can't walk. Oh, I see. But it's not like a normal touch. It's more like of a tingling sensation. Okay. So like I, for a spinal cord injury, I can't regulate my body temperature. So if I get hot, it's like I'm you know about to pass out, and I stay cold all the time, even if it's like seventy degrees and the wind blows, because the spinal cord injury, I just can't regulate my body temperature because. It doesn't send those signals to my brain correctly. Oh, really? That's something I've never thought about before. No, I didn't know. Yeah. So I mean, I always think of it just being like a movement thing. I never think about it being a, like other func other functions yeah, of the nervous it, it system. Yeah, it messes it messes your whole body up. I mean, it just because I mean those the nerves it, it trans it goes uh-huh. to your brain and it sends it back down to wherever you know even your fingers or like you want to move your legs that all trans goes up your you know that's I guess it's like a railroad. Going back up to your brain, you know, just if that if it's cut, there's no signal. You it can't receive that, so you just don't work. Do you are, are you able to um like like if you say you imagine you want to move your leg, do you, are you able to at this point remember like what that felt like to like the, without thinking about it, you'd like go to move your leg and it would move 
Like, do you still have the sense that you can make like the impulse to do it, but it just isn't answered? So, so have you ever heard of like of like I think it's called Phantom, like Phantom Pains? Yeah. It, it's more like that. Okay. But I still have my limbs. Yeah. So I, I can like feel it, but it doesn't really do anything. Yeah. So I guess like mentally it's there, but physically it's not. Yeah. So and it's aggravating. It's, it's very aggravating. Um, oh, I can only imagine. I, I know, like when I first uh, started doing therapy, I could have a little bit of like movement in my feet, um, intentional movement. Yes. Yeah. But I just, I guess, being in a chair for so long, my muscles just tightened up so much that it just—I I don't know if it just doesn't. I, I, I don't know if it's just my muscles are just too tight. They just can't get the signal can't get in. I don't know. I don't understand it. So. Yeah. It's just one of those deals where I just roll with it and keep going. Uh, okay, to the second part. How, how, after your accident, you, you get clear about what your future is going to look like. You probably, it's probably hard to comprehend. But how many months or years goes by before you sort of are like, that you're back in? Like, you're alive. You're a human being here on Earth. There's shit you got to do, right? You're going to like, you got to resume school. Find a way to enjoy yourself. Like, what is the gap like? Two weeks. Oh, really? I got out of the hospital and uh, two, two weeks, weeks. Two weeks after we got out of the hospital, we're right back, honey. No shit. Yeah. You got to be tough. You're who, stupid. Who did that decision making? It was me. So um, the thing was, like, I, I was being babied so much, and I didn't like that. Uh-huh. You know, and um, it was just one of those deals where I just like, look, I'm, I don't want to be baby like. Stuff happens. Like I'm not gonna be sit here and you know be someone's like burden, and that's what I felt like. I felt like a, a burden to my family because they had you. to take care of me. I, I mean, I just my whole life just changed. So, um, one day my mom was in the house. I was like, "Look, I'm, I'm going hunting." She's like, "What? I'm going hunting." She was like, "I will finish killing you. Like you, you're not going hunting. Like you yeah. lost your mind." So, uh, that day I made her very mad because I went back hunting in a wheelchair, obviously. Uh-huh. So from that point, I had to uh, learn how to adapt. I mean, it's it's it was a hell of a challenge. It still is, you know, nowadays. But going from like using your limbs and then like transferring to a chair and trying to figure out how to get across logs and rocks and stuff like that—that's hard as hell. Like that's challenging. But that challenge is what drives me. Like that's what makes me want to do more. Like if I see something that I can't do or I feel like it's not in the cards. Like, that makes me insane. Like, that makes me want to do it even more. So, going out um, after the accident, that made my drive and passion for hunting so much more. This guy, this sounds like a dumb, maybe it's not a dumb question. I don't know if you can think about it this way. What, and I know you're only 13 when you, when you were injured, but what percent, like, what percentage of the places, right, that you might normally have gone became just inaccessible to you. Oh, 96%. Okay. So I mean, major. yeah, yeah. So you were off stomping through the swamp and. Oh, yeah, yeah. It's, I mean, honestly, like, I couldn't roll through the yard. Okay. I was going to ask, like, your home situation. Yeah. Even, like, did your dad have to do some serious carpentry work on, on the, on the yeah, place? Yeah, so I mean, to... I had to, like, get a, a ramp and, like, uh, like, everything had to be modified. Okay. I mean, just, I mean, the house had stairs, had to get a ramp, or, um, 
widen bathroom doors or widen doors for um, the bedroom or um, making cabinets lower for me to get into them and stuff like that. I mean, like everything at that moment changed. I mean, it's one of those things where you go from, you know, having a normal life to like, I mean, it's pretty much having to depend on someone or have things accessible for you um, in your lifestyle. I mean, it just like at an instant, it just changed. Yeah. So, I mean, like I said, you know, daily activities, you know, if I just wanted to, you know, get up and go take a shower or whatever. I mean, it took me a lot longer to just to do that. Um, like getting dressed. I mean, it may, may have taken me, you know, three minutes to get dressed normally. I mean, that transferred to 15 minutes, you know, just because I have I have to pretty much my arms and my 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 arms are my my crutch for my legs too yeah. so it just it just makes it a lot makes things a lot harder and then transferring from like um a chair to a car or to a uh a tub or to the bed all that made it so much challenging and then like i said 13 years old like i i was a scrawny kid like i didn't have much at all to throw my weight around yeah so i mean it just it made everything that much more challenging what was uh how was your dad doing? Like, like once it was clear that you were okay and you were ready to get back out, I mean, was your dad just so guilt-ridden that he was that he wasn't able to function, or was he able to be a dad, like to to do a good job being a dad despite that guilt? Honestly, I really, I don't know. I mean, like once I started getting back into, um, the hunting side of things. I think that it made him a little bit easier about the situation, knowing that I wasn't letting it stop me. Okay. So I, I think that was like a, a settling point. Uh-huh. I mean, obviously, I'm pretty sure, you know, in the back of his mind, you know, he's like, okay, well, you know, this is, you know, because of me. Um, I mean, I'm pretty sure he had guilt for that, but that time period, I just, I, I just don't remember that much. Do you think, like, looking back on it, do you think that – um for a dad in a situation like that, do you think it's better for the dad to just carry on and be strong, or do you, or or do you think a someone wants to see the guilt? Honestly, I don't. I mean, it's life. Life happens. I mean, yeah. no, you you have no control of the cards. So, holding yourself at blame and being guilty or having that guilty conscience about it. I mean, of course, you know, you're going to think about it. It's going to be in the back of your head and all that stuff because, you know, that's that's life. You're a human. That's what's going to happen. But I, I don't think I, – I think guilt will um, drive you to an early grave if you let it. Mm -hmm. And I think him seeing me uh, push forward and not letting it get a hold of me yep. made him a lot stronger. Oh, yeah, that's interesting when yeah. you're looking at it. Yeah. Did what was your feeling about? You'd been injured by a firearm, but you, I, I mean, you started hunting right away. You didn't have any sort of like, you, you didn't have um, fear of or anger toward toting a shotgun around the woods. Like you didn't look at it like, man, that's the thing that almost took my life. Actually, I did. I kind of had like a. Honestly, still to this day, I'm very weary around some certain firearms. Yeah, I. Uh, that's why I love bow hunting so much. I mean, it's just. Okay. I've I've got to bow hunting I think at like fifteen sixteen, and I just really stuck with it. I mean, I don't trust a lot of people with guns. 
Yeah, it, it's uh. not. It's not the. It's not the fact that I don't trust them. It's just the fact that it's it's a man made item, and anything can go wrong anytime. Yeah. So I mean, I, I guess I kind of have a little bit of PTSD towards it, but. That's understandable. I mean, yeah. I could also understand yeah. if you said, and I never went in the woods again. Yeah. No, but I, um, like, even I'll, I'll carry, I'll, I'll shoot an animal with a rifle. I mean, that doesn't bother me. But still, at certain points, like, it's just, I just, I have that PTSD. They just, like, that that mental image is in my head. I just, yeah. sometimes it freaks me out more than anything. Hey, you know when you take uh, some time to clean out, uh, let's say, like, clean out your garage, and you're like, man, how was I living like that with that place such a mess? Well, check this out. If you've been paying a fortune for wireless, and then you switch over to Mint Mobile and get plans for $15 a month when you purchase a three-month plan, you'll be saying, how was I ever affording to do that way I did it before? It's time to switch, okay, to Mint Mobile and get unlimited talk, text, and data for $15 a month. All plans come with high-speed data and unlimited talk and text delivered on the nation's largest 5G network. To get this new customer offer and get your new three-month unlimited wireless plan for just 15 bucks a month, go to mintmobile.com slash eater. That's mintmobile.com slash eater, and you will cut your wireless bill to 15 bucks a month. Again, mintmobile.com slash eater. It's a $45 upfront payment required, which is the equivalent to $15 per month. New customers on first three-month plan only. Speed slower above 40 gigabytes on unlimited plan. Additional taxes, fees, and restrictions apply. See Mint Mobile for details. Man, I'm just coming back uh, not too long ago from youth turkey season in Wisconsin. Now, last year at youth turkey season, it rained and snowed the whole time. This year at youth turkey season... It was in the 70s and even up to 80. So me and my kids are pouring it to it. And after a while, I realized I didn't drink anything all day, and they haven't drank anything all day. Well, that's why it's important to get hydrated and have something you're going to like to help you, encourage you to get hydrated. doesn't matter. Outdoor events, turkey hunting, playing sports, beach days, mountain adventures. Summer requires extraordinary hydration that's built for everyday dehydrating moments. With three times the electrolytes of the leading sports drink, plus eight vitamins and nutrients in a single stick. It's clear why Liquid IV is the number one powdered hydration brand in America. Tear, pour, live more. One stick plus 16 ounces of water hydrates better than water alone. I'll say that again. Hydrates better than water alone. Turn your ordinary water into extraordinary hydration with Liquid IV. Get 20% off your first order of Liquid IV when you go to liquidiv.com and you use code MEATEATER at checkout. That's 20% off your first order when you shop Better Hydration today using promo code MEATEATER at liquidiv.com. Get incredible deals on premium cuts from ButcherBox. Do you like free protein for a whole year? Well, deals this good are hard to come by at the grocery store. I, at home, well, I got two freezers, but you know what I'm saying. I like to have a freezer stocked full of stuff. I like feeling prepared, man. When I come home and it's time to make dinner, I like to go in. I got all my proteins lined up in there. Just makes me feel good about stuff. And with ButcherBox, you'll always be prepared with meat in the freezer. It means fewer trips to the grocery store. Delivered right to your doorstep with free shipping always. You get a variety of high-quality cuts at an amazing value. You'll get exclusive deals as a member, too. Sign up at ButcherBox.com slash eater. 
and get our special deal. ButcherBox is offering our listeners a free-for-a-year offer plus an additional $20 off. Choose salmon, chicken breast, or steak tips free and every order for a year. So every box you get has that in it free for a year. Sign up today at butcherbox.com slash meat eater. Make sure you use code meat eater to choose your free for a year offer plus $20 off your first order. T- uh, tell people about um, how you became interested in, in turkey calling and realize that somehow your injury like a, a manifested in such a way that you were able to have this like super special talent. Oh, that's easy. I didn't have friends growing up. Yeah. <laughs> I'm just joking. <laughs> so, um, well, I, I didn't know if you were going to tell me that your friends bailed on you because you were in a wheelchair. I don't know. No? Uh, 50-50. Okay. Um, Thin the herd a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, in high school, like I was like, like the cafeteria is like half a mile from the school. So, like, I had to get people to, like, push me down to the uh, cafeteria and stuff like that. It just became a pain. Like, I felt like I was such a bird to, like, my friends and family. So, I just, I, I think my high school years started making me very independent, and I'm grateful for that. Like. Really? Yeah, I'm super grateful for that. Um, Because the fact is, like, and I, I live by this quote. Like, you don't know who you are as a person until you are absolutely alone. And, you know, I was, I guess, I was comfortable um, being independent or like depending on someone uh-huh. until I didn't have that someone, and then figuring out who I was as a person and leaning on myself more, becoming more independent, made me truly um, like I don't know. It made me super interested in myself, like my capabilities, like what makes me tick, like what's my passion, what drives me, and I think that's what. Um, those high school years did to me. Yeah, because I mean, I I had friends, but I had to fend for myself. Yeah, you know, um, had people. My friends would go to lunch and just, you know, it's like, oh well, you know, we forgot about Josh, and I'm like, all right, cool. I'm sitting here waiting on somebody to help me with lunch. You know, it's already an hour past, and I still ain't eaten. So, you know, I just it it it, it built me. It bu- it started building my character. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm appreciative of that. Um. But man, I could imagine that just by no fault of your own, it could just as easily destroy your character, man. Some it, people, not I don't mean it, you, yeah, yeah, yeah. But no, you can no, see a person becoming just like uh, sociopathic's not the right word because it has like such a, I guess, like just like losing faith in people. Yeah. So I mean, I, I was, you know, early on in my my years, I was at that point. Like I was, hell, I was in a, such a bad place. I was, you know, I felt like I was a burden to everybody. I mean. I've, contemplated suicide i mean i went through that whole route of depression but having a a mindset of you know god left me here for a reason Uh and i battle with god i'm not gonna sit here and lie to you i mean i was like you know you say you love your child why would you do this to me like what what like what were you thinking like i i had my battles you know i faced my demons and i've i've been down that route but you know being able to appreciate the little things in life makes it so much better as you keep going. Yeah. Cherishing those moments. I mean, and I think that's what got me through my darkest times was realizing that even though I had lost my legs, I still had so much more. Um, You know, just being able to 
um, sit back and be like, okay, I still have life. You know, I still can breathe. You know, I still can do what I want to do, even though I have to do it a little bit different. You know, it's not worth me, you know, committing suicide or like taking myself away from a family, even though like I felt like that was a better way. It's just an exit plan, you know, yeah. but it's not, it's not a, a good exit plan. You know, when you thought about, when you thought about suicide, was it, were you imagining that it's, um, that it takes you out of it? Like it takes you out of yourself or are you imagining it takes you away from all the people that you don't want to be, that you, that you don't want to feel like a burden to? Like who are it, it you doing was, a favor to? You or your family? For me, I felt like it was more of a favor to my family. Yeah. Like suicide would have been that. Yeah. 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 But I mean, still like just obviously like it's like intense depression. Oh yeah. Yeah. Super intense depression. Yeah. Like I was, I mean, cause like I said, I mean, I, I had to depend so much on other people and they had to go out of their ways just to make sure that I was doing something or like I was better. Like I had to take medicine or like whatever the situation was. I felt like I was such a burden on other people that it made me miserable. It ate me up inside. Well, just the the thinking of like, uh, you know, you said it. Well, now it's an extra 15 minutes to get dressed and it's an extra 10 minutes to do this and extra this much time and this much time. Just And then to and that's just to navigate normal everyday life yeah and then be like but i'm also going to try to s still hunt it's just like the layers of complication it just ha had to have been so daunting er oh, yeah. early early on especially you know yeah i remember the writer jim harrison who we talked about a fair bit um he used to suffer from horrible depressions and he described one time being in such a a, a state of depression that it was like he couldn't picture getting dried off with a towel after getting out of it. It just seemed like too much of a hassle. And he talked about a friend of his one time demonstrating a very quick, efficient way to dry off with a towel after the shower and him trying to like memorize the how to do it. Because even that was just more than he wanted to deal with, you know, in that in that state, right? That's major depression right there. Yeah. I mean, at least he took a shower. That's a plus side. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Absolutely. So uh, talk about the turkey calling, man. So with my accident, like, so uh, I had a bullet hit my esophagus. Okay. Um, I had a breathing tube in my throat for a very long time. And the doctors came in and said, well, you won't be able to talk again. You're going to need a trach. And when he told me that, I was like, you're wrong. No, I pulled, I actually pulled the tube out of my throat. And I told the doctor, I was like, no, you're wrong. And when I did so that, he thought like you could talk, but they're going to do something to you that it will make it that you can't talk. The breathing tube was in my throat for so long that it it damaged my vocal cords. So I was going to need a trach. Like I was going to have to talk with the. Oh, I'm with you now. Yeah. I got you. I got you. Yeah, I so understand. I um. And they were. This is just like an accepted. Hey, dude, it's Louisiana. <laughs> Our medical studies is not that great. Yeah, so it's just like oh, you know. Yeah, and yeah. And had you listened to him, that's what would have happened. Yeah, yeah. So, um, I, I just, I guess it was like itching or whatever. So I just, I pulled this dang old tube out of my throat, and it altered my vocal cords. And oh, pulling the tube out did. Yeah, yeah. So like, I had to go through like voice therapy after that, and like being thirteen, like my vocal cords never really matured. So like. Yeah, but I wouldn't get that. I mean, I'm sitting here talking to you now, I wouldn't get that sense. Mm -hmm. Yeah. My vocal cords never really matured. So yeah, I, but I don't really, I guess I don't even really know what that means, man. Because, I mean, I, I've, 
like anyone listening right now, anyone listening right now, they wouldn't be like, wow, it's, it's not like, we're, it's not like, you know, I'm trying to think. It's not like talking to a kid. So, okay. So, so you bring that point up. So like, I don't sound like a kid, but I can still hit a very higher pitch okay. for for my age or whatever because when I have my, my like I said, my vocal cords never fully matured because I had a tube in my throat and it altered my vocal cords. I'm with you. I'm with you. So that's why I can go from like I'm talking now to like a freaking screaming elk bugle. I mean, just because those vocal cords never really matured and I can hit notes like a soprano. Give, give me an example of a high note. Uh, we're gonna get kicked out of here, but all right, I can take the headphone off. Here we go. Are right, you want a speckle belly or you want an elk? I want a speckle belly and an elk. Speckle belly. So is this like a thing you realized or did you start learning how to make turkey calls? So uh, I think, uh, what year was it? 2000, summer of 2013, I went to an outdoor expo show in Louisiana and uh, this guy was trying to sell me a turkey call. Uh-huh. And uh, I was like, no, I don't want to buy a turkey call. Obviously, I didn't want to buy a turkey call. Like, I've been tur- shot turkey on So like, that was like not a thing for me. <laughs> You're like, I'm taking a break from turkey Yeah. <laughs> so, um... You better be yeah. a hell of a salesman. <laughs> yeah. So he was trying to like sell me this call. Like it sounded terrible. And uh, me being like, I'm not gonna lie. Like I grew up playing sports. I was point guard, pitcher, all that. So I was a little cocky when I was younger. Uh huh. So this guy was like trying to sell me this turkey call. He's playing. I was like, it's like that don't sound that good. So what kind of call you use? Me being a kid, a little cocky kid. It's like I can do it in my mouth. Had no idea I could do it. No idea. He was like, well, let's hear it. Like crap. <laughs> this guy called me out of a bluff and I was like, all right, do it again. And he did it. And I did the best that I could to mimic it. The owner of the company turned around and said, is that our call? He's like, no, that's a kid. <laughs> <laughs> really? And they ran me away from the booth. Really? Yep. So I went to a, a, a inside, inside of the expo and uh, another guy was like, hey, that's pretty cool. Like I'm, I feel like I just accomplished something. So I'm going around, you know, practicing and tuning it up. Because I mean, I just got ran away from a turkey calling booth because I sounded good. And like a guy noticed it, he's like, it "Sounds pretty good." Like, what else can you do? I was like, I don't know. I just learned this ten minutes ago. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, you know, people start giving me like, "Oh, well, that's cool." Like, can you do this animal or this animal or this animal? I was like, I, I don't know. So I started like YouTubing animal sounds. Okay. And I just like would practice it, but the way that I break it down is I would get an animal, figure out what sound it makes, and put it to the closest word. And I'd break that word down until it gets to that sound. And I just What's your word for a turkey yelp? I think it's just yelp. Okay. But it's like a it's not it's not full it's not a full yelp. So if I'm if I try and explain how to do a turkey call to someone. Yeah. Um, I would say um, uh, it's Yelp, Y-E-L-P. Then you go Y-E-E-E-L-L-P. Yelp, 
Yelp. Yelp. And then you, you extend that word, but in the cadence of you want to have your, at the end of you want your pitch to go just a little bit higher, so you want to, you know, flutter your, 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 your tongue just a little bit just to get that, that full pitch out. And then once you get that down, you know, you just want to speed it up just a little bit. So then I like after, how you have a little rasp on there too, man. So that's a part of the like the whole pulling tube out. So like I can like get to like a, a raspy pitch, or like I can get to like a, a a older like a growl to it. I mean, I can throw like three different turkey calls at it, you know, in a, in a sequence. So um, so when so at this point you're starting to learn how to call, but you're not out turkey hunting. So you probably marry this with the turkey hunting pretty soon, right? And I'm just thinking, like, this is such a killer skill for a very specific crowd that you no longer associate with. Yeah, so here's the deal. <laughs> here's the deal. So, like, I, after this show, like, people are like, okay, well, what else can you do? I was like, I don't know. And, like, this is, like, when Facebook was, like, becoming, like, I was getting to use Facebook a little bit more. Okay. Like I said, this is 2013. Like, it, I think I was still, like, 20 years old or something like that. So I was just learning about Facebook, and I think – I was just driving down the road one day, just being, I don't know, just being a, a dork. And I was like, turkeys is coming up. And I did this video and I posted it and like people start sharing like, oh, dude, like you sound pretty good. Like you're goofy, but you sound pretty good. And people start sharing. I was like, oh, well, what else can you do? I was like, I don't know. And uh, they're like, well, they had this like animal call challenge thing going on on Facebook because I made like some sounds. And uh, this is like going towards the end of 2013, and then it got to the point where um, someone, a buddy of mine, noticed it, and he's like, "Hey, you need to come to ATA." I don't even know what ATA is. He's like, "It's like a big archery trade show. I mean, everybody goes there." You need to like, okay, I'll see what I can do. I had no intentions of going. He thought you should go there to do what though? And just I, I don't know. I guess to hang out and call. I don't know. Like, I don't know. He was like, "You just need to go." Like, all right, cool, whatever, I'll go. But, but I say that, but I was shooting competition archery too. So, like, I guess that's kind of what he was thinking. Oh, so you were like, okay, so simultaneous to the animal thing, like, you're hardcore shooting. Yeah. It's like after my accident, that drove me like further into wanting to do it more. Like, my accident, like, it, it, it put a fuel inside of me to want to do it more. Are you shooting against, um, like, like, are you shooting against other people who are in wheelchairs? Or no, shoot, you're shooting, just shooting general. I'm shooting against everybody. Huh? Yeah. So you got right back in there, man. Yeah, and so. But 3D. this is competition archery, like yeah. shooting targets. Yep. Three three D uh, ASA shoots. Oh, okay. Good. Yeah. Okay, right. Got it. So, <laughs> so your buddy's like, I don't want to derail, but your buddy's like, hey, man, go to ATA. It's yeah. Like, and you're like, I don't know why, but I will go. Yeah. So, and then uh, I met another friend of mine. Uh, uh, Kirsten, she was, um, she's like, yeah, I'm going to ATA, let's meet up there. Like, cause like, I, I've met these people from making animal sounds on Facebook. I mean, that's how I, I've met these people. <laughs> it sounds, yeah. No, <laughs> looking, no, man. Looking no, back no. at it. It sounds funny, but yeah. I love it. Yeah. So, um, the Facebook like, animal sound making crowd. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I was like Dr. Doolittle online, but I talked to animals a different way. Yeah. So it was like, all right, look, go to ATA and let's just like, again, meet up. All right, cool. So I go and, um, I meet my buddy Rob that invited me, hang out with him, everything's fine. And then Kirsten, um, she was like, Hey, let's go around the show. I was like, All right, cool. So we're going down this aisle, and I see Jim Shockey. Like, he's like one of the only people I knew at the show. 
I see Jim Shockey, and I freak out and have a fangirl moment. Yeah, like big nine-foot-tall dude. Yeah. Cowboy hat. Yeah. yeah. I freak out. I have a fangirl moment. So I was like, oh, my God, here's Jim Shockey. And she was like, do you want to meet him? I was like, no, he's busy. He's got people around him. He's busy. So this girl goes through the crowd and, like, parts the crowd like Moses part in the Red Sea. And she's like, hey, Josh, this is Jim. Jim, this is Josh. I'm so freaking scared. Like, I don't say hey. I freaking goose honk at Jim Shockey. <laughs> <laughs> My nerves took over so bad that I goose honk at this guy. Yeah. And he was like, did you just honk at me? I was like, hey, I guess. I don't know. That's what you're saying. Can I guess? Hey, I guess. I don't know. I was so nervous. So <laughs> he was like, that was pretty good. Like, what else can you do? Like, can you make some other sounds? So I just started, like, doing sounds. And, like, somebody took out a cell phone and videoed it. And uh, it got posted on Jim's page and it got posted on Eva's page. Uh-huh. And then, like, some other people are around and, like, they just saw me doing these sounds. So, like, the whole show, I was going around making calls for everybody. And, like, that's how I got my start. Like, I went from being nobody from South Louisiana to when I got home. Like, my social media exploded. Like, it got really weird really quick. Um, It, it just, because, like, I mean, because I'm from a small town. Like, I was... I was that kid that was like so, um, I, I, I didn't, it wasn't sheltered, but I, I was in my own little world, especially coming from an accident and, you know, figuring out, figuring out life still. Yeah. Now I'm in like the public eye. Like everybody wants to know like who you are, what can you do and stuff like that. That scared the hell out of me. Like, I'm not even lying to you. Um, it just was so different going from, you know, being from a small town and being exposed to the world. And, you know, you get all these people from all over the places, you know, sending you messages and things like that, wanting to be friends, and you have no idea who they are. Yeah, I got you. So, I mean, it was it, it was a culture shock for me, honestly. And and it became, like, it became like a business for you for a while. Yeah. Like, explain that, though. Like, like what? Like, wh- like, what specifically were you being, did you want to be paid to do? I, I honestly cannot, like, if someone wants to do this as a business plan, I cannot give you a guideline to do it. <laughs> yes. I, I will not recommend you go out, get shot. There's no like Josh, no. Josh Carney, path to business success. No, there's not. There's not. Honk at strangers. Until- <laughs> That's it. No, well, I mean, it's a little weird nowadays, but just uh, I, would, I would not recommend that. Um, but, you know, so I, I, I was, you know, doing these interviews for like radios, like radio shows and like these. Just like now, like same stuff I'm asking you. Yeah. Yeah, but I was doing it, like, at these shows and stuff. Like, people would contact me, like, hey, like, you know, do you want to come do an event? Like, you know, we heard your story. Like, do you want to come speak at an event or wherever? It's like, my my first event was at a church in uh, Crossit, Arkansas. Okay. Middle of nowhere. I said, like, look, I've never did public speaking in my life. I don't know why you're calling me. You got the wrong guy. Like, I barely know how to make animal sounds. Like, I just learned that an hour ago. But what were they wanting you to come do? They wanted me to tell my story of how I overcame, um, how I got from a hunting accident to getting over it and getting back into um, hunting. Yeah. So that's what I did. I stumbled my way through that first show. But the good thing about it, I was funny. Mm-hmm. So I did comedy before I got to the hunting industry. So I was able to throw in a serious point, cover it with a joke. So like I always kept the audience attention. Yeah. So that right there is like 
what kind of built me into getting into speaking. Got you. So this show here is my first, and then like after that, it went well. So I was like, well, maybe I could do another one. From there, I just changed a little, changed style, you know, did things, you know, tweaked the little things here and there, and I got better at it. And from there, more people were like, hey, do you want to come speak at an event? Do you want to come to a seminar? Do you want to come um, host a, a disabled haunt? Like, do you want to do more stuff? Yeah. I'm like, yeah. Who's managing all this for you? I was doing it at the time. I mean, I was, I was young, dumb, and I didn't. I, I was. <laughs> but you're doing paid gigs, right? I'm doing paid gigs. But you're just, you're just like, here's my fee, and you negotiate it and contract I, it. I honestly, like, at that time, starting out, I had a, a really cheap fee because I didn't know what I was doing. Yeah, sure. I had enough to like, hey, yeah, cover my gas, my expenses, feed me, and get me a hotel. I'll be there. I had no idea when it came to business. So I was like, all right, well, I'm doing enough of these shows for cheap. Let me start charging. I was like, all right. So I was like, all right, cover my expenses, 500 bucks. I'll do it. Okay. That became, all right, well, it's, you know, it's, it's getting better now. I got a little money. I can go, go back home, have, you know, a little bit to play with, you know, it's like, cool. I like that. From there, I started developing, okay, well, I'm getting more work than, um, than, than the money, you know, I, I wasn't, I, I was doing good, but I was overworking myself. I mean, because I, I was on the road a lot. I mean, I think 2015, I hit like 260 days on the road. No but, shit. Yeah. But all with hunting industry stuff. Yeah. How much did it, when, when you're doing this, you're talking about it all the time, and I'm guilty right now because I'm interviewing you right now, but how much did it become, um, like did it ever be? Did it ever get in your head where you sort of had a hard time that you'd separate you, like as a fully formed person, with like that you are like this embodiment of a story, meaning that like you have like a narrative. You were injured horribly. Um, you started hunting and you, and you have this this gift to to do animal calls, um, and people just want you to be like again and again and again and again tell me about that tell me about that tell me about that yeah. does that cause like an identity crisis yeah <laughs> yeah it actually does so honestly so like going it's it was super weird for me getting adjusted to it so like i had to live two different lives okay like when i was at events or shows or whatever i had to be son of the south like that's what i went by son of the south so i had a strictly show presence that I had to stick to. But outside of it, when I was like family friends, like I was Josh Carney. Like I was just let's hang out, cut out, I'm I'm myself. Yeah. But when I went to a show I was in that strictly like that entertainment mode. Is it re is it a requirement that you as not Josh Carney, but you as the son of the South? Is is it a requirement of the son of the south that the son of the south is in a good mood? I'm always in a good mood. That's the thing, though. So you're able to do it. Yeah, I'm always in a good mood. Like, I mean, my, like, life has challenged me enough that I understand like bad things happen for a moment, and you can't let it ruin a day. Yeah. So I mean, if something like bad happens, once it's over with, it's over with. You know, just keep moving forward. I mean, don't let. 60 seconds of your day ruined 
the other 23 hours and 59 minutes. Dude, I'll lose two weeks off 60 seconds now and then, man. <laughs> I haven't been forged by fire, right? Yeah, I mean, you, you just, it just, there's a lot of people like it takes a bigger person to do it. And I think that's that's where I'm at. I mean, like I just don't let a lot of things bother me. I mean, yeah, it, something can always be worse. And I think being able to like like over the years, I've done things with uh, events with like kids with like cancer, or, like terminal illnesses, and things like that. I I think that humbled me as a person. Like yeah. that truly humbled me. Like I understand like I'm in a situation, but there are people out there in worse situations than I am, and they're happy about it. Like they're grateful for what they have. So if I was bitter because I can't use my legs, like that's selfish of me. Mm-hmm. So I mean, knowing that it could be worse is something that makes me more positive. Yeah. So if I have a bad moment, I don't let it affect the rest of my day. You, when we b- before we started uh, recording, we had talked a little bit about you know your sort of view of of operating within the hunting industry. Yeah. And you grew tired of it. Like, what sort of like define the hunting industry for me? You know, what I mean, and, def- and and tell me like what it means to grow tired of it or want to move beyond it. Because you went into you, you you do like a totally different line of work now. Yeah, I'm totally different line of work. So for me, so the thing about the industry for me was like at six years in it, like I was. I don't want to say I was. I'm gonna be blunt. I was overworked, underpaid. Okay. Like, when I went to a show, I was always someone's puppet. Like, do this, do that, do this, do that. And, like, I never got a reward out of it. Mm -hmm. You know, I was like, okay, we're we're just going to use you for, like, your social media or, like, whatever you bring to the table. And, hell, if we don't want you, we just don't want you, you know? You do X, Y, Z for us, and you don't get anything out of of it. You know, doing that for so long, it made me really bitter towards the hunting industry. Okay. Because it was always give me, give me, give me, and I never got anything in return. Yeah. I mean, I met some good people along the way, but if it wasn't for speaking events that I was doing, I would have never made an industry. I mean, it, it it broke me down financially, mentally, like physically. Like, I was on the road so much trying to pursue this image that I had built in the hunting industry just to stay afloat. Gotcha. And like I was, I was, I was expected to do so much from the audience and from, you know, companies that wanted me to promote them for nothing. So that's where the whole persona of. But do you think it was like? But don't you think it was because of just lack of management? You know that too. But so, two thousand seventeen. Like I think that that could pro- that could happen to many many people. Yeah. So two thousand seventeen. I uh, I had I hired a business. So let me let me backtrack. So when I talked, I was talking to you guys earlier. So I had a guy that was trying to be my manager. Okay. He was uh, he credentialed had, or not credentialed. Let me let me just say like he was a used car salesman. If that says anything. Okay. Okay. So he was a snake in the grass. So he wanted to be my manager. Like very shady, chicey dude. Um, but at the time, I didn't know. I didn't know what management was. I was having fun. I was making a little bit of money here and. It got to the point where um, the things, like, I was more of a um, token item for him to put money in his pocket. Yeah, no, I'm with you. So learning that started burning a lot of bridges for me. So 
finally got rid of him, and I went back to doing things on my own. So I met this girl, um, this lady, Heather Shepard, and she's my business partner. So we met. She booked me for an event. It was her her family event, and she booked me for it. I mean, from booking it to me getting there to the show's over, everything was like to the T. Okay. Um, like I mean, she's like, "Hey, Josh, you know, you have to be at this place at this time. You have to be here, here. Your breaks here. You know, everything was like to a T." Um, I think at the end of the show, I, like her name went from Heather to Boss Lady. Like, I mean, she was just strictly, you know, focused on making sure that everything was in line and right. Yep. So after that show, um, I approached her like, hey, listen, like, I really don't know what the hell I'm doing. And from seeing you work and how you um, handle business, I want you as a part of my team. So she came on board with me, uh, I think in 2017. And um, we've worked together flawlessly from there. So she took over that management position for me. So if someone wanted me to do a gig or event, I I pull myself out of it. Yeah, I'd introduce them to her. She'd take care of it. That became a lot better for me. But at that time when that's happening, I was already at the point where I was starting to get worn out. And so, like, if it didn't fit, like, you know, criteria, like, I'm, okay, I'm not going to drive from Louisiana to Wyoming just to go on a free trip for exposure. Yeah. You know, so just things like that. But as far as getting the sponsorship deals, I didn't understand that side of business. And she was so new to the industry at that time, too, that we were both learning. So I don't think it, it – at the time, I think the way that we went about it could have been done a lot better. Mm-hmm. But I think it was a little too late for that also. So at what point did you decide that – or let me put it this way. When you got burned out on sort of servicing the hunting industry and, and that community – um, was your in, did your interest in hunting go away as well? Like, are you actively hunting right now? Or are you just done with it? So, two thousand eighteen was like my breaking point for the hunting industry. Okay, I had I want to say probably eight to ten sponsors, and like we had like we were working like so with me and Heather we were working on contract agreements, making sure everything was like right for the following year to make sure everything went so this is sponsorships where they're giving you gear no this is monetary sponsorships okay, so like is, gear and we're, cash we're starting to make money now so um we have agreements lined up and back to the back to the other guy that was trying to be my manager i did a hunt with him um in texas him and another guy they f- made a video of me um I, obviously i can't put my my leg on a turkey to stop it from flopping. So they, I put my wheel on a turkey head. I mean, I'm not going to sit here and lie to you. I mean, that was, quote, unquote, my legs. So walk me through it. Like, you shoot a turkey. Shoot a turkey. And this is all being filmed. Yeah. So I shoot a turkey. Um, turkey's on the ground. And, like, we're doing, like, the, the B-roll and stuff like that. And they wanted to make a video of me. Um, the whole storyline for this episode was me conquering getting over a turkey hunting accident, getting back to turkey hunting. Okay. That was the whole storyline. Which is a story you're familiar with. Yeah, I was going to say, yeah. Yeah. So, after I kill this turkey, after I shoot this turkey, like, they're doing a film and everything like that. Birds on the ground. 
they're like, okay, well, you know, just like now you're in a wheelchair. Like this is the mindset. You're in a wheelchair because of turkey hunting. Like now we want to make it look like you conquered, you know, this, like you just slayed the dragon. So like, all right, you know, just like, just put your wheel on the turkey's head. Like you just like defeated it. Yeah. I don't know. This is like my first big sh- like TV show deal. Oh so, yeah, man. I, I just seeing where this is going. You get it's so easy to get steamrolled. Yeah, yeah. Because you're with all these people and they know what. Yeah, and you're not familiar with it. You don't know. You don't understand no the idea. end. You don't understand the end product. I had no idea. But the end product is like that's that's what I'm getting to. So I, I it was like I, it wasn't even like a like a. a terrible shot like it, it was just my wheel on a turkey i mean i see people with their foots on the neck oh i just had a wheel on it that wasn't even the turkey like the worst thing i did i shot him in the face it's the worst thing i could have done a turkey so yeah like <laughs> yeah pre- preceded you know yeah earlier i <laughs> shot him with a gun yeah <laughs> i just wanted to stop flopping i mean like obviously if the turkey gets back up i can't run behind it yeah. so i mean if i put my wheel on the head he can't go anywhere all right so the guy and his partner, well, whoever he was working with, they put a video together. Like I had, um, it was, it wasn't even, it, it was that for a producer and editor video sucked so bad. Like a six year old could have did better. Okay. Like they had video, like the B roll is like me looking at the Turkey, like fanning it out and like just showing like me showing a coloration of the feathers and everything. And then like, it goes to a scene where like my wheel is on a Turkey head. And like, that was a finished product. So this this guy, it's like a terrible video. So the guy, he, huh, like you, huh, it's meant to be that it's all one continuous action. You like no. you, you you admire a turkey and then lay it back down and run it over. I, is what I, I guess that's what they're trying to proceed. Okay, but it, it was such a terrible video. Uh, but it was enough to make sponsors have an easy way out. So this guy, so I was doing um, seminars at shows and speaking events, things like that. And I had, I was starting to get monetary sponsors. This guy, whoever I was working with, affiliated with, this guy sent out the video to. And like, I lost a lot of money over this stupid stuff. I mean, like a lot of money because of a video of me shooting a turkey. And then like at this time, this is like when... um. I don't know if you guys remember, like, the uh, the big Beal thing when he shot that elk or whatever and left it. This was, like... Oh, early. in Wyoming. The, yeah. Oh, uh, well, yeah. Shot shot that elk, but accidentally hit a second elk. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. So, this was, like, around that same time period. Which is totally, like, that part of it, shooting elk and, and accidentally getting another one, that could happen. Yeah. To yeah. lots of people. But yeah. whether or not you own up to it yeah you know. so the companies that saw this video are like oh well there's too much pressure on the hunting industry right now we don't need this being a part of our business floating around because you put your wheel on a turkey's head so it was an easy way out mm-hmm. so i started losing contracts like but like okay i, I haven't seen this video is let's say i went to one of these sp- sponsors uh-huh. That you lost the deal with, and and I said to them like, "Hey, what happened with with I don't understand what happened with Josh Carney? Like, what went on there? Like, do your best job of telling me what they would say." 
I honestly don't know. I have no. But you don't know that they that like you. You can't picture like that they would have a different story than what you're telling me. No. Just like he put his wheel on a turkey's that, head. That's all that it was. I put my wheel on a turkey's head. That's it. They're like, okay, well, it, honestly, it was an easy way out. But easy way out implies that they wanted out. They, it's like, okay, well, we don't have a budget this year. I mean, it's like, okay, well, now we have, oh, well, you doing this. That's not what we want to represent as a company. And I mean, the, was, the video yeah. was perceived as such that it was, um, or be, it was being pushed as something disrespectful yeah. against animals. Yeah. This show is brought to you in part by BetterHelp. Now, we all carry around different stressors. Big ones, little ones. When you keep these things bottled up, it can start to affect you in a very negative way. Well, therapy is a great space to get things off your chest and to figure out how to work through whatever's weighing you down. Like, figure it out. That means figure it out with someone who's impartial, who's able to sit down and hear what you have to say and think it through with you. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapists anytime for no additional charge. Listen, there's no there's no such thing. It's like, you're not so tough. You're not so tough that it doesn't do you some good to talk to somebody now and then about what's on your mind, okay? Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash eater today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash eater. Now, a lot of you guys are familiar with the old hunting tradition of eating, you know, some organ, the heart or a chunk of liver off the first animal you kill. I had that when I was a little kid and it was a big deal. Organ meats were always prized by frontier people who knew the importance of getting a lot of different minerals and nutrients. And as often is the case, those guys were on to something because organs are among the most nutrient-rich foods on the planet. And you can get the same benefits your ancestors craved via convenient daily capsules from Heart and Soil made exclusively from regeneratively raised, grass-fed, and finished cattle. Heart and Soil's unique freeze-drying process means all those important nutrients are trapped in ensuring you experience every one of the benefits of nature's superfood in a clean, convenient, taste-free capsule. Find out more at heartandsoil.co and make sure to use code MEATEATER for 10% off your purchase. That's heartandsoil.co. Use the code MEATEATER. I want to tell you about an American-made success story and Black Buffalo's award-winning nicotine pouches. Black Buffalo was built by dippers with decades of smokeless tobacco use. Black Buffalo is all about the history and tradition of dip, but they understand the convenience and discretion modern-day consumers are looking for. Black Buffalo's nicotine pouches give you the versatility to consume discreetly, but keep the ritual with flavors dippers love. Mint, straight, and wintergreen, all proudly made right here in the USA. Tell them, Chili. The reason I like black buffalo pouches is, one, they're very discreet. And what I mean by that is I can throw one in and almost forget it's there. And I prefer the mint pouches. So if you're 21 or older, consume nicotine or tobacco and want to join the black buffalo herd, head over to blackbuffalo.com to learn more. You can order nicotine pouches online. They ship directly to most states or check out their store locator 
to purchase pouches at thousands of retail locations around the country. Black Buffalo Tobacco Alternative. Bold flavor, full pouches. Warning, this product contains nicotine. Nicotine is an addictive chemical. Black Buffalo products are intended for adults age 21 and older who are consumers of nicotine or tobacco. But what, Okay, I don't, I don't want to like belabor this video issue, but... It sucks so bad. I'm but was the, video, was the video, though... Was the video in the end, was the video meant to do what it was supposed to do? Or did the video... They put the video out there to be damaging. They put it out to be damaging. So they weren't like trying to make something great. Like no, no, the no, guy no, that, like, no, they, no. So this was this was filmed for a TV show. Okay. They took enough of the footage from that to splice it down to make this video. All right. To send to the companies. Gotcha. So it was like a. It was intentional. Yeah. They yeah. had a. It was a vendetta for something. Maybe you don't even know what. The, the the owner of the show and the producer got to it, mm-hmm. and the producer was the guy that was trying to be my manager. So the owner of the show, once they got to it, the guy was trying to take down everything that the producer had, mm-hmm. and I was in that mix of it. Okay. And at that time, I was being very successful, and I was on a lot. I had a lot of attention on me. Mm-hmm. So it was a very easy. And it was very, I was a very easy target. I mean, even heck, the guy, the guy still tries to use the video to send to people. I'm like, dude, that was five years ago. No shit, really? Yeah, five years ago. So it's just, yeah. <laughs> I, I've met some very, I've met some great people, honey. Don't get me wrong, but for every good person, I've met a lot of shady people too. I mean, do you think it's is it hunting or is it like business? I think it's both, to be honest with you. I mean, because from the business side of it, like no one's going to show you the, a lot of these people aren't going to show you their true colors. Like they're going to want you to do for me personally. Like I was like, I'm going to go back to what I said earlier. I was a puppet. Yeah. Like I brought attention to a company for them to make a buck out of it. And I didn't make a dime. Yeah, no, I'm with you. So I, I was just and I was just a, a token item for them to gain something. What What was the last time you did a um? What was the last time you did a talk? Like gave a talk? My last, I think, yeah, my last speaking event had to be last year. Um, like I said, I, I took a, I took a huge break from. The whole hunting industry after 2018. Um, like I said, I, I lost a lot in that industry. And, uh, heck, I mean, I went to that show. I came back home, and I, I had a heart attack. I mean, it's it stressed me out so bad. that like Literally a heart attack. Yeah. I flew back home. Uh, I went to the uh, gym later that night. I was stressed out. I mean, I just, this, is like, this was like my shot. Like, I just started, finally started to make money. And, like, I lost, I mean, I lost a lot of money at a show because of that video. It was timed for the show. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And then the bad part about it, so, like, everything that was happening, so, like, going back to, like, the bad moments, like, I was letting those bad moments pile up. Yeah. So, I'm, I I had just got turned down um, on a a good contract. And after they turned me down, the guy that produced it and sent it out, Walks up, 
and I was livid. Like emotion like I, I was I was in a different state of mind at that point that it was it was a miserable show for me. Like it was eating me up inside. Like a horrible show for me. Then another thing I was losing <laughs> I was losing um spots of like being uh, so this is a time phase where the hunting industry was so focused on you know being a cute blonde chick you know half naked doing shows just to get you know promotion and i felt really i I felt that it, it got away from the value of hunting that i was just i don't know i guess i was just a little bitter about it because i mean i was losing i felt like i was losing out to um people that wanted to be something that they weren't and like i i just I got caught up in that realm of trying to be someone else that I lost focus of who I was. Like, I just, like, I didn't understand the fact that, you know, I'm, that I was getting caught up in that mix. So. Yeah, no, I, I know. What yeah, there's like, you know, I mean, sex sells and everything. Yeah. I mean, yeah. it definitely sells underwear. Yeah. And all kinds of stuff. And yeah, like, you know, as much as it's even fair to talk about like the hunting industry as though it's this sort of like definable, containable thing. I know what you're talking about when there became this, it's it's, it's sort of like this male fantasy thing uh-huh. where it'd be that, um, you know, you have these people that like, oh, the, you know, they're, they're so beautiful and, and they like to hunt. Yeah. And it's like this like complete total package right that that you like present as a as a marketing thing yeah right it's like all my problems i'm lonely and i have no woman and now look this one's beautiful and she would appreciate my hunting prowess yeah not only that but <laughs> she loves to hunt yeah and that's how i will sell products yep yep bunch of old creepy guys at hunting tree <laughs> <laughs> so so from from so back to that subject yeah I, uh, like, when that was going on, like, I was like, all right, well, a lot of these people can't, like, it was so, um, it, it was so insta-modeled, the hunting industry became so insta-modeled that I was like, all right, cool, this is not even hunting anymore, it's Hollywood, mm-hmm. like, it's not, like, something that I was like, I, I was, I was one of those guys that I was a rebel, like, I was like, look, I bust my butt to go out here and do it, and I have, I know what I'm bringing to the table, I don't feel that it's right for me to lose something to somebody that just picked up a gun two weeks ago and killed an animal like right, you was, felt like you had a product yeah and but you were losing um felt, some of these opportunities yeah. some of these paid opportunities to folks that didn't even have a product i felt that i brought more value to the table than what i was um what i was getting out of it and to lose a spot to someone that had no knowledge couldn't teach you about anything hunting related to lose it to a cute face I, I just I was in a very ill mood, so <laughs> I uh, I made a I made a post and it wasn't even um, like it it wasn't bad. It was more information or anything, saying how the hunting industry was just becoming um, more of that sex sell type thing, and it flared up a lot of attention. Yeah, because I'm one of those guys like I will say like I'll say what the room's not willing to say. Like everybody's taking it. Hell, I'm just gonna say it. I'm gonna clear the elephant out, and it, it, that's what it was. It was one of those deals. Well, well it's a, it's a super sensitive subject, though, man. Because oh, that's a lot of that's a super sensitive subject. It's a super sensitive subject because the hunting industry traditionally was not hostile. Well, in, in cases hostile to women, 
um, I, I hesitate to say hostile to women, not as inviting to women, meaning, right, like 90% of the people that buy a hunting license are guys. Yeah. 10% are women. Um, I don't think, I, I imagine that you would always have, I, I, I don't picture a world in which there would be equal representation between men and women. I don't picture that. But I feel if dads and whatever, dads, granddads, didn't have such a strong bias toward the boys in their family, in favor of the boys in their family, and against participation from women, we would land not at 90-10. Maybe be 70-30, like 70% male, 30% female, mm-hmm. 60-40. There's no way it's going to be 50-50. I think, there's like, I think there's biological factors that would prevent 50-50, but it wouldn't be 90-10. Mm-hmm. So there is a thing where, okay, to increase female representation, and hunting is important, to hear women's voices about hunting and in hunting is important. But I think that there's also like a thing, and I recognize it too, which is very much um, people take that need, but then they can't help themselves but to like sexify it. Oh, yeah, no doubt. And I want my daughter, like I, have, I have a seven-year-old daughter. I have like, I, I don't overpressure her. But she is very clear on the fact that her dad very much wants her to go hunting and fishing <laughs> to the point where I want her to feel a little guilty when she doesn't go. Do I then need to have it turn like, do I want her to, to hunt in a bikini top? No. I feel like she could look roughly like her brothers. Like the same basic get up that her yeah. brothers are comfortable in should be suitable for my daughter. So... Uh, this thing that we're talking about, like I recognize it's very complex. Yeah. To be like everything, man. It is complex to the point too, where is if your daughter was like, yeah, but dad, what I want to do is hunt in a bikini top. And then you, you would have to be, and be like, I really want you to go. Uh, <laughs> yes. It's a double. It's it's a, a, no, dude, Cal, that's a great point, man. Cause that would be, what if, what if, yeah. What if she said to me, this is how I like to do it. I like, I want to, um, I love it. It's fun would, like this. It makes it, it fun like this. W- what am I going to say? Like, no, you cannot go in that bikini top. I, 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 right. I she's seven right now, so we're not there yet. I got right. time to figure it out. But yes, it's hard to deal with. Yeah, and so then you throw, and you go, you look at the demographics, right? And you throw some, anybody up on a poster, and the marketing person's like, I want that poster to represent the, the middle of the bell curve, the vast majority to draw the most people in, you know? And, and so you get in this conversation where it's like there, here's this very, very pretty girl, man, whatever. Um, it, you know, is that representing the majority of the bell curve? Is that bringing in the most people? It's going to represent some, some faction 100%, but it's not going to represent them all. Yeah, they're, right. they're advertising a water park in the elevators in the place we're standing in right now. And the advertisements for the water park are families. And the moms in the things are in bikinis, but it's like not sexualized. It's a water park and there's families. I think a bikini it's not is, sexual. <laughs> I think a bikini is more appropriate for a water park than a deer stand. Yeah, I just want to yeah. say like we're, I don't want to yeah. overemphasize the bikini aspect of this because there are places where people, you know, yeah. uh, it should be uh, you know everybody runs around. 
But man, a little bit, the, the final complexity, this is all I'm going to say about it because, not all I'm going to say about it, but the other thing I found is that women don't necessarily want, don't necessarily need 46-year-old dudes like me explaining this to them. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so I get it. I get it. But I understand. I understand. So where, uh, where'd you go from there? I took a really, uh, like a detoxing break. I mean, I uh, I still had a couple events and a couple uh, companies that I was working with, and um, I I I just kind of I I fell off the radar a little bit to figure out who the hell I was because, mm-hmm. like I said, I I focused so much on being this persona to fit this hunting image that I didn't know who I was anymore. And, and I want to ask about your friends group too, because before you were like, well, one way with my friends group and one way with, so your friends group, are they, um, do you have a bunch of folks like in your core friends group that are like, let's go hunting, let's go hunting, or are they not in the hunting world? So I, I not industry, but like, like to be outdoors, like, like hunting. I have friends that are in the industry that I will go hunting with, um, but when I wasn't a value to them, I lost a lot of friends. Sure. Got you. I mean, if I didn't bring it to the table, well, you know. And the funny thing is, like, I think, like, so, like, for these trade shows, like, we're all buddy, buddy, shaking hands. Oh, my God, I miss you. It's great to see you, all this stuff. For the rest of the 360 days, 360 whatever days, I don't get a word from them. Don't know who you are. Mm-hmm. You go to a different show, they're like, "Oh well, who are you?" I mean, like that's the kind of that's the kind of people like we're running with in this industry. Like, if it doesn't benefit them at the time, then you know you're just another sticking away. In. But man, I think that you're I, no, 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 no. I'm not. I'm not saying, I think that I, you're I'm, like the like. I'm not saying it for anybody. I just have a bad. Yeah. I have a bad um, sense I, of picking people. But I think you're talking about people. I don't think true, it, you, true. you're talking about the hunting industry, but I'm like, I, I don't know. Like if we were in cosmetics, oh, I'm if pretty we were sure, in the I'm cosmetics sure industry, industry, I feel like maybe you would have found the same thing. Oh, I'm pretty sure it's in every industry. I totally agree. I, I'm not trying to like stand around and like stick up for, you know, like I play in the hunting industry considerably. I'm not sitting around <laughs> trying to like be their advocate and mouthpiece or something, but I'm just saying, I feel like it's just, you found out some shit about life. Yeah, it'd be I, yeah, unjust yeah, yeah. to say this is just specific to this. No, 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 no. I, I agree. It's, it's it's in life in general. But I was so stuck in that realm, like that's what I was surrounded with. Sure. Yeah. No, I understand. I understand Absolutely. where you're coming from, man. Yeah. But now, um, you're you're you do want to come and like you're ready to talk again, but you want to talk to new people. Yeah, I mean, I'm like. I don't mind talking to I'll talk to anybody. I'll talk to a wall. It don't bother me any. <laughs> <laughs> I'll get you a certain amount of trouble yeah. in, some, in some quarters. <laughs> I mean, like, speaking is like what drives me, but like, I, I just want to get, I want to get out of that scene. To, like, because like, I was so saturated in that, in the whole hunting industry around. Like, I didn't know anything else. Mm-hmm. So, like, now I'm just like, okay, well, I, I, it's time for me to, you know, venture out and do more stuff. Yeah, what what industry are you working in right now? Like you just went like during your detox, you just went and worked in a c- completely unrelated world. Yeah, no, I'd like from my detox, like I went from so like I went like this is how like crazy it was. I went from um you know 
driven in a hunting industry. Like I finished like I think last spring I did like a, a turkey turkey tour. I do a turkey tour every year. So I did that and like after I finished that, like I got back home and was like, all right, cool. Um I love hunting, I'm happy hunting, but I don't want to stick in this realm anymore. Like it's just like it's not what makes me happy anymore. Like it it, it took a lot of the passion away from me. Yeah. So I left there and I worked at a freaking car dealership, like completely opposite of anything. Yeah. But I wanted to get into the field of the real world and get out of, you know, this saturation that I've been in for so long. So I did that. From there, uh, I, it, it was, that was the worst job I've ever had. Like, I, that was way worse than anything I ever did with hunting entry. <laughs> it's terrible. <laughs> So if anybody ever wants to buy a car, you do not call me. <laughs> so you were trying to sell cars. No, 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 no. I wasn't a salesman. I was a um it's a, a BDC is what it's called. So like I would be the person to um get people in to um buy cars. It was more like a um Let me come uh you like this? Let me introduce you to uh, our top sales guy. Yeah, something like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I even grew the hair out like I had the whole car salesman look. Well, a car salesman has longer hair. Well, I mean, <laughs> you, you know the slick back, like the 1980 car salesman with like the old suit, like the slick back hair, like yeah. too much grease. Yeah, that was me. Uh, I grew my hair out and everything. Like it was terrible. It was I was going through some rough times back then. Hey, it, can I can I ask where? So was your dad right? Because he's this houndsman. Those are very dedicated people. Um, was he supportive of you? Was he like proud of you? Uh, you know, quote unquote, making a uh, name for yourself in hunting, or yeah, yeah. was he kind of like, yeah, I don't really know about that side of hunting? No, I, I think uh, my family's would was um, supportive about it. I mean, I, honestly, I, I was, I, I was, and I'm still one of those guys. If I want to do something, I'm just gonna do it. Mm-hmm. You know, and like they 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 didn't have a a particular say so on me just packing my bags up and going hunting, going travel across the world. I mean, yeah, like I would literally leave my house one day and I'd come back two months later. I mean, it's just that's the decision that I want to make in life, you know. And that's what I was so focused on being successful and accomplishing things that. I sacrificed a lot. I mean, I sacrificed a lot of time. I sacrificed, like, I remember, I I think I went three, four years without being home for Christmas or Thanksgiving. Like, I just, I, I never saw my family because I was always on the road trying to be in that next level of success. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, I, 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 they were supportive in that fact that, you know, I was driven enough to do that. But you're thinking now about, now that you kind of dusted off, you're thinking now about going back out in the world to talk to people again. Yeah, I mean that's that's what that's my passion. Like I think you know everybody has a gift, and my gift is to um, I'm a I'm a good people pleaser. Like bad situations, good situations. Like I can figure out ways to um, make a situation be viewed from a different aspect. Mm-hmm. And like, I think that's what really drives me. That's what I'm really passionate about. Um, so what's the, like, what if you go to talk to people and you have an audience in front of you, um, what's the takeaway? 
Like the takeaway of your talk isn't that you're a people pleaser. No, 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 no. So I think it's more about um, overcoming life. You know, everybody's faced with challenges and obstacles in life. You know, it, it's either it's either you fight through it or you give up. And, you know, I was at that point where I wanted to give up many times and I never did it because I knew that if I kept pushing through, I kept fighting, like it would eventually get better. It's not going to be easy, but it's going to get better. And once it gets better, you know, better gets to phenomenal. And I want to be at a phenomenal level in my life. You know, and there's like a lot of people that struggle with things on a daily basis. Everybody struggles with something on a daily basis. So if I can get someone to figure a way to understand that what they're going through is not something that they have to go through or have to stay in that situation like that is what like i want to present i mean because like i said we are only here to deal with bad issues for a moment in our lives it's not going to take over our lives you know so being able to present a different side and a different outlook on life to someone is what i want to present to people um i've had people that have been in way worse situations than i have and they have failed to understand that life's not over. You know, you can still move on no matter how dark your days are. I mean, like, with after every storm and sunshine. I mean, mm -hmm. th there's something better for you in life. You just have to understand that it's out there. You have to keep wanting it. You know, I think I think about when you bring that up is this having been uh, always just like, you know, just like blessed and lucky right not you but me i just you know like i don't know just lucky and sometimes i'll wake up in the morning and, and my kids will come down and all three of our kids will be coming to bed with me and my wife you know and instead of thinking like you're saying like i want to get i want things to get better and better and then phenomenal i think like how could this perfection continue like there's no way like something bad has to happen like like how could how could one get so lucky and I think to have probably there, if there's a blessing to having just like such a major setback like you had, it would probably be to to get some reality there. Yeah, you know, like what I, I remember one time being down in Florida and we we're like on the beach. Me and my wife are on the beach. We're on family vacation. We only had two kids at the time. The kids are playing. They're like helping each other do somersaults. And she's like, "Things are so perfect. It makes me feel like something bad's coming." <laughs> <laughs> did and to something, get, you did know something I mean? bad happen? No. Well, there you go. Oh, well, well, you know what, what we didn't know at that time was we had firmly agreed that two kids was more than enough. And we didn't know that it's funny that story in particular is we didn't know that at that moment she was pregnant with our third, which was like kicked to the nuts. <laughs> <laughs> but in the end, yeah, in the end, it was like, the, you know, like everybody, like everybody says, like such a blessing. Right. And it is. I mean, it's amazing. But at the time, so when she's, that's what we laughed about later. Is like, oh yeah, something bad was gonna yeah. happen. <laughs> Another kid. <laughs> this is kind of backpedaling to what Cal asked about your dad, uh, how how your dad felt about you, kind of getting so deep in the industry. But I kind of wanted to know. You say you say that you don't really remember what kind of guilt your dad was carrying, like shortly after the accident. Ten years pass after the accident, and you start to kind of make a living and gain nationwide, worldwide attention from not only your calls, but also retelling the story of being shot by your dad. And I mean, you'd think that after ten years, there's probably a lot of healing, healing happening, like between just like with the guilt he was carrying, maybe that 
And then all of a sudden, it just like, was it like a wound opening back up for him that you, you were touring the country telling this story? Which is re- like yeah, over and over him, again. Reminding do you, him do you again. think there was any, like, obviously, he was probably proud of you for for getting up there and, and becoming a speaker. And, uh, but. Yeah, he's, after a while, I'd be like, enough already yeah. about that. Yeah. I mean, do you think there was any resentment at all? You know, it's kind of one of those deals. It's like, uh, hey, Dad, you remember that time you shot me? Yeah. <laughs> Here's a video on it. You're going to watch this here. No, he, <laughs> it's not like very this. sad piano music. Yeah, 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 yeah. Like, very depressing. And then, like, okay, yeah, give me your credit card. Like, I want to buy a new truck. Like, it's the, I don't guilt trip anybody. As a bit, you know, Is your dad I, okay? Oh, yeah. My dad's fine. You guys close? Uh, we don't turkey hunt together anymore. <laughs> but you still communicate with them? Yeah. yeah. But, you know, they're like, we don't turkey hunt together. I mean, it's a different subject for a different day. <laughs> yeah. But no, I mean, for uh, as far as, you know, opening that wound, I, I don't think, I think it's healed. I honestly think it's healed, but being able to show that it, it, it didn't hinder me in life, I think that that's something that has helped him heal. I think it's helped, you know, me and my whole family heal from the situation. Because, I mean, I, I don't I don't look at my accident as it was um, something devastating. Like, I'm grateful for it. You know, it, it would not it would not have made no me shit, the person. No shit, really? Yeah. It would have, it, I, I, it would not have made me the person that I am right now if it didn't happen. I mean, I, there's no telling what I would have been doing or, you know, what kind of guy I would have been if my accident never happened. Like, it humbled me so much. Um, because, like I said, you know, we take things for granted all the time. Like, I could have been a selfish prick if I never got my legs taken away from me. Sure, man. But like, now, like, I cherish the little things. Like, I'm grateful for so much more now. So, like, I, I just don't, I don't think my accident was one of those deals where, you know, I, I should get bitter over it. I mean, I think it's one of those things that really humbled me in life. You could have been the type of dude who wouldn't have thrown a roadkill deer in the back of the truck in the rain, you know? That's <laughs> never going to happen again. Just to let you know. <laughs> so if, if, if people want, as much as you're wanting to do this, if people want to contact you um, to talk about having you come and talk to a group or uh, how do they do it? How do they get a hold of you? I think the easiest way to get a hold of me is uh, I have a, a Facebook page. It's called Son of the South. Uh, S-O-N of the South. And uh, I think that's probably the easiest way to message me. Um, I stay on, I, I used to stay on social media a lot, but I've laid back on that pretty much. But but if people wanted to get send you a message, they could still find you. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I'm not hard to find. Just look for a black guy in a wheelchair making animal sounds. <laughs> <laughs> not hard to find at all. <laughs> the group narrows down yeah. pretty quick. <laughs> all right, man, this has been great. Uh, Josh Carney, son of the South. That's it. Sometimes I get called Mouth of the South. I don't know why. Probably because I talk a lot. I like it. You know. We'll stick with Son of the South for now, though. Uh, Thanks so much for coming on, man. And um, yeah, now that you told everybody how to find you, if you want to learn more about Josh, go track him down. Thank you very much. Thank you.
You never want to find yourself out on the water fishing without your essentials. So it's best to always pack a Columbia PFG Solar Stream Elite hoodie to protect against the sun. Man, I was just in Hawaii and I had my Columbia PFG Solar Stream Elite hoodie with me. And here's the deal. We're in and out of the water all the time, getting in to go spearfishing, getting out, taking the kids to the beach. I'm not going to mess around all day putting sunscreen on then having to get washed off. I just run a hoodie. Columbia PFG has a lot of great gear. So before you head out on the water, head over to Columbia.com slash PFG to shop their performance fishing gear. This show is sponsored in part by BetterHelp. It is a simple truth. No matter who you are, mental health challenges can affect you and how you manage them can make all the difference. That's why everyone should have access to mental health support that they need and that meets them where they are and helps them get through challenges. BetterHelp provides online therapy on your schedule. It's flexible. It's simple to use. You can connect with a licensed therapist selected just for you. Learn more at BetterHelp.com. That's BetterHelp.com. 